Well, welcome to another Fireway session here. <clears throat> if you're visiting this morning and you're not familiar with Fireway, we do this two or three times a year. We have you ask questions, just like Pastor Brian said, and I've never, I've not screened them, nor has he. They go to actually a place in the building here where we have some pastors and some staff, and they put them in the buckets, you know, similar questions in the buckets, because we get hundreds of questions, and then they, they start feeding them to us, and we see them for the first time, and we tell you what we're thinking. It's time for you to fire away. So uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't have two people because of the mandate uh, without masks. So through technology, the wonder of technology, we have Brian in another room there. Hey, I'm also in pajama pants. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'll let you guys decide kinda, what that looks like yeah, in your minds. Kind of glad you're in the other room. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we get to piggyback off of questions. So let's go right to it. First question. How should Christians deal with the growing political tensions in America? Wow, they're going right for the juggler vein, right for the start. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I, Brian, I'm going to take a stab at this first, and then you can chime in. It is tension-packed. And it ain't going to get any easier, I think, as the election comes closer. You know, here's how I feel about it. I believe that Christians, I'm talking about believers, followers of Jesus Christ, who have a kingdom mindset. You know, we're aliens in this world, or at least we should consider ourselves. That yes, I'm a citizen of the United States, I understand all that, but my first allegiance is to the kingdom of God as a believer. And therefore, I want my mindset to be on kingdom work and on kingdom attitude, is a better phrase, throughout my day. So especially if I'm living in a world where there's lots of this going on, I don't want to be a person that's adding to that. I want to be a person that's really modeling how Christ would respond to that kind of tension. And I think he would get people to look beyond it and to rise above it and to get to the more important things, which are what's this saying about our world that has fallen and cannot have peace and is constantly warring? What's that saying for the gospel? What's that saying for the person who supposedly lets the peace of Christ rule in their hearts? In fact, I feel so strongly that I think Christians are getting sucked into this thing a little bit too much that um, I'm going to start a series in September called The Can-Do Christian. It's based on that verse in Philippians that says, we can do all things. We can do all things. We can even have peace. We can even have joy. We can even have a, a level head during all this craziness that's going on. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to be doing a series which will address things like fear and anxiety and all the stuff that's going on out there right now, but do it from a Christian standpoint and get us to be thinking and having a, an attitude and running the right tapes on how we should be thinking of this as believers. Because yes, it's very tension-filled, our society, but I, I, you know, Christ paid too much of a price for me not to walk with joy and peace all the time. So I think that's where Christians need to end up at the end of this thing and live that out 
every day in a practical way. Not that we're oblivious to it or that we're not sympathetic, but we live on a different plane, and people should look at us and go, wow, all this stuff going on, all this anger. And, but this person seems to have a consistent life of joy and peace and love and, and uh, a sound mind. And um, that's what I want for myself. That's where I'm trying to live myself, and I think that's what uh, will give a great witness for the gospel, is if Christians can keep a level head and show peace and love joy, even in the midst of all this craziness. Yeah. Anyway, that's my view. What do you think, uh, Brian? You know, more than ever. See, we're, as people, we're inherently um, judgmental people. And if you say, I don't judge anybody, it's like, well, we all judge somebody. We all judge in our hearts. It's what we do. It's why Jesus says, you know, look at the log in your own eye. You're so good at seeing specks in other people's eyes, but you can't even see the log in your own. And that's just always going to be the case. I can't see What's, what, what it's like to be on the other side of myself. Um, I have to ask people, what's it like to be on the other side of Brian? Um, and listen to them. So it's easy for us to judge, and it's going to be even easier now more than ever. Um, there's so many labels now out, out there, uh, not just your political party, but what movement you're a part of. Um, and people are ascribing to these labels. They even now... It's easier to judge people sometimes because you've got facial coverings and there'll be Christians that say, you know, you know, wearing a mask, he's a weak Christian. And that's a label. That's a, that's a, a, a bad judgment. Right. And then you'll be seeing people who don't wear a mask and you'll say, boy, they hate people. They don't care about others They're You can make a broad sweeping character assassination now just by looking at someone's face. And both of those are bad. That's what we do. We label people. And I think for Christians more now than ever, we've got to remember, we can't label. We have to love people. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to even look at you and judge you. I want to love you. Um, I love uh, Romans 12 here. It says, um, this is Paul talking. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that's a big statement, like work really hard at this. As far as it depends on you, it says, live at peace with everybody, everybody, mask, no mask, Republican, Democrat, whatever movement you're championed, live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. And if you're looking at me like, well, Jesus caused a lot of problems. Yeah, with really religious people, people who were far from God, who were outcasts in sight, people who were lost, who were struggling, people who were, who were broken, people who were seemed like they were so far from God. Those people were his friends. Those people were drawn to Jesus. Listen, if following Jesus for you actually narrows the scope of the people who are far from God that are in your life, if it narrows the amount of people who you're influencing, I want to ask you the question, are you actually following Jesus? Because as much as Jesus had a high regard for theology, it actually widened the scope of the people that he became friends with, loved, engaged, served. The people that you weren't supposed to touch, he would touch. The people you're not supposed to talk to, he talked to. The people you're not supposed to eat with, he ate with. And, and so as we are navigating truth and understanding that we've got to stand up and, and talk about truth and we're asked, at the same time, Jesus's truth and theology pushed him closer to people who, they, who were far from God, not away from them. So living at peace means being really careful and wise right now what you're saying. I mean, I think there'll be a long list of people who get to heaven. They'll say, Jesus, I tweeted that tweet. I posted that post. I stood up for truth. And Jesus will be great. He'll say, great. Who'd you bring with you? Who'd you, who'd you, who'd you, who'd you have a relationship with who was far from me? And we got to be careful as Christians in a politicized time that we're focusing on love and not labeling people. That's my... Yeah, and I, I think 
it's easy to get sucked into it. I mean, because we all have strong convictions. I have strong convictions about things and don't like what's going on in a lot of arenas. But gosh, I don't feel good about myself if I get sucked into that anger thing and fighting. I'm not sure that's, at the end of the day, whether the Holy Spirit will feel good about that kind of mindset. So uh, I want to try and be smart. I want to rise above it. I want to keep the focus on what the real issue is in people's lives. It's not politics. It's not government. It's not even the moral state of the world. It's their people's heart relationship with God. Amen. The truth of the matter is, is that God is coming back. Who knows? It may be real soon. And there's going to be a judgment day. There's going to be a day of accountability. And bottom line, if people don't know Christ personally, they've not been born again. They've not been saved. They've not had their sins covered over. It doesn't matter all of this stuff about the politics. That's going to be the main issue, eternity. And so I got to be smart enough to realize that's the main game. And I can't get sucked into side conversations. I'm not saying they're not important. But God's called me, and he's called you, if you're a believer, to deal with eternity, not only in your family's life, but in your friends and your neighbors and the people at work. That's where, that's where eyes are, our eyes are on, the bigger issue, which is people's eternal condition with God. And we want to be used of God to address those things, to be there for them, to minister to them, to help them work through the issues of life, but pointing to eternity because that's the most important issue for the believer. Okay, uh, let's see, next question. This is, has been a very difficult time for our family. How can we find a way to be kind and loving? Um, I said this in the last service. You know, you know what, frankly, there's so many people who got opinions these days. I'm doing a lot of listening. I'm just letting people talk. I got one guy that I talked to who is like big time into all the issues right now. Strong Christian, big time into all the issues and feels very strongly about it. And I'm just a, I'm just a listening person for him right now. I, I, sometimes I get OD on it, but I'm trying to help him. And this is what happens. He dumps all this stuff on me. He gets really angry, right? And I don't say anything. I listen to it. I go, well, yeah, I try and steer him towards a godly perspective on stuff, you know. But, you know, God's at work in this thing, and there's a lot of positive things that are coming out of this. And, and I just say a few things. And then the next time he calls me, he goes, listen, I'm so sorry. You know, I was dumping all over you. I was fighting and all that stuff. But you said this about how, how my spirit needs to watch this kind of danger, and that, that really helped me out. So I think you're just listening to people and letting them get it out and then steering them towards something that's positive, that's Christ-like, that's eternal focus, that's big picture focused instead of just getting caught up in the moment. That might help. I don't know. That's what comes to mind. Brian, I keep turning around yeah. like you're back here. But <laughs> yeah, Brian, I'm, what do you think? I'm above all of you right now, floating above all of you in the sanctuary. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Dad, you've said this to me, and it's, it's, it's been, you've said this, I think, our, our, the whole church, and it's, it's really great advice. I'm going to focus on the first part of that question. It's been a very difficult time. Um, you know, you, t you talk about this all the time. Live in a 24-hour period. 
you know, this concept of daily bread that we get from Exodus when God leads his people out of Egypt and he tries right away to get them to trust him for daily food, daily provision. God is a daily sustainer and he does truly give us this 24 hour period that we can't, we really can't, uh, do much more than a 12-hour day before we have to lay horizontally and go unconscious for at least six to eight hours. So we're literally hardwired to shut it down after a day. Uh, Jesus puts it like this, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. And he means it. He doesn't mean like, don't worry about, you know, next, next fiscal quarter. You know, he didn't say that. He said, don't worry about tomorrow, literally tomorrow. And so um, I think one thing that we have to recognize is that difficulty circumstantially does not mean that we can't have peace internally. Just because you have difficulty out here, the good news of the gospel is that you can have peace in here. So as you think about how do I love my family in a time when it's difficult, you have to start dealing with what's in here. Because the reality is, is God does give us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to have peace and rest internally in here. And so um, it's not the family's fault. It's not that my kids are sinners and if they were only perfect, it'd be fine. It, it really comes down to in my own heart, where am I mining my capacity for love? And for me recently, I, I'm with you. This has been tough. My wife and I, I'll be honest with you, Hannah will tell you this. We've had some of our toughest fights in this COVID season. I'm just being real. I'm just me being Brian right now. We, we have had some really hard conversations. It's been really tough. We're, we're stuck in a house together for ex- more time than normal. We're having to deal with challenges together that we haven't had to deal with before. So I'm with you. This is hard. But one of the things that God had to do in my life was get me to realize my circumstances don't need to define what's peace internally here. And part of that, and this is me being open, I didn't get there until I realized my own brokenness. Until I realized my own brokenness, my own mess, then after that, then I realized God's love for me is, is in spite of that brokenness, he still loves me. In spite of that brokenness, he still tolerates and, and forgives me. And then only after that, I can begin to give out forgiveness to people who are also broken. But I, I, I want to just challenge you. The answer, it starts with looking in your own heart until you see your own mess and how much God, until you see how big your own mess is, you don't see how much God loves you. And until you see how much God loves you, you won't be able to love the mess that's in our world. Yeah, there's three words that I've been trying to concentrate on recently. In fact, I had actually some artwork done, so they're, they're on my desk. One is wait. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So I want to learn to wait on God. There's a lot of things right now. Everybody wants answers for why is God doing this and what's going to happen. And you know what? I just need to wait on God and let him unfold what he's going to be doing here. The second thing is uh, uh, slow. And it's that verse in the Bible that says, I want to be slow to speak and quick to listen. So that's what I'm saying about listening. I just want to be slow to kind of have answers or feel like I've got to give answers. I just want to be slow to speak and more more of a listener these days. And uh, finally, the the third one is love. Rather than somebody who's fixing or declaring or doing, I I want people to see that uh, I'm interested in them and that I'm, uh, relationship is important to me. And I think if you make life simple and then concentrate on two or three words that are attached to maybe some scripture that you feel God is zeroing in on you, you probably have different words you may want to come up with. But for me, I feel like those three words God is highlighting for me right now through my study in scripture. You know, wait, uh, slow, uh, love. Okay.
What does a Christian marriage look like? Well, uh, I'm just going to throw out things that I think of. If you, Christian marriage is different than other marriages uh, because, first of all, and I say this whenever I do a marriage, most people, when they talk about marriage, they get this picture of now we're going to, we found each other, we're our soulmate, and so we're going to go through life looking into each other's eyes and getting our needs met from each other and just face, facing each other and focusing on each other and we'll get closer and closer and closer and all our dreams will come true, okay? Christian marriage is different. Christian marriage says you got a husband and wife Yes, they love each other. Yes, they go to each other for each other's knees, their best friends, all of that. But they go through life instead focused on Christ. Individually first, trying to be everything Christ wants them to be. And as you begin to be focused on God and letting him change you from the inside out and, and follow him and walk with him, what happens you become closer and closer and closer. It's the triangle. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. But you're focused on God and what he wants me to be as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife. So how does that translate? Husbands, real clear. You want to talk about a word? It's love. That's the, that's the main command to husbands. Love your wives how much? As much as Jesus loves the church. And what did he do for the church? He died for it. He sacrificed. He laid down his life. So it's a servant kind of a love. It's not a macho love. I'm the leader. You're supposed to follow me and listen to me. That's not the love that's the, the, the husband's love. The husband's love is a servant love. And if you have a husband who's looking to do everything he can to serve his wife, serve his family, serve his kids, love them, and you have a wife, what's the word for her? It's, it's, it, well, I won't... And the, the, the tough word is submit, right? It's the S word that no woman wants to hear about. But I think we've gotten way off the track of what the scriptures intended with that word. We let the world give us the baggage of it and all the abuses of it. If God says, this is what I want women to do, it's good, it's right, it brings happiness and joy. What that servant and, and submission a word is all about is I'm going to support and honor and build up my husband. What man doesn't want his wife to think he's nailing it and he's doing well? Encouragement. And so uh, a wife who encourages and builds up her husband and honors him, and you have a husband who's loving and serving his wife, you got that going on? It's not going to be a perfect marriage, but there'll be lots of joy. It's when we want to do this, when wives want to demand their rights and husbands want to demand their rights, and they're thinking about, why aren't you doing this thing for me? They're focused on their needs. Why aren't you doing this thing as a husband for me? And they're focusing on their needs as a wife. When you focus in on your needs and demand your rights, this is what happens. But when you take what the Scripture says your mindset should be, I'm to serve her needs. There's a good book, if you ever want to buy it, called His Needs, Her Needs. It talks about the five basic needs of a wife, five basic needs of a husband, and the theme of the book is don't focus on your needs, focus on her needs. You don't focus on your needs, focus on his needs. And if you've got two people trying to serve each other, meet needs, it works. Why doesn't Christian marriage work? It has nothing to do with what God says and how he designed it, because it's his 
It's his idea, Christian marriage. It's because people are demanding their rights and wanting their needs met, and that's why they focus on it. So I would say, number one, it's your devotional life. Focus on God. Become everything God wants you to be, and he'll start changing you. You will be a better, easier person to live with. And then that will draw you together. That's a goal that's bigger than yourself. And then secondly, make sure you don't focus on your needs. Focus on your spouse's needs. And if you have two people doing that, you're going to have, uh, you'll be okay. You won't be perfect. You'll have your down times, but you'll be, you'll be okay because you're focused on the right thing. Right? Yeah, I, I don't even really have much to add to that. The, um, if you think marriage is for your happiness, you'll think there's something wrong with your marriage when you're not happy. Um, Christians know the purpose of marriage is to point the world toward Christ and the church and to point even ourselves and our own lives. It's to draw us closer into a relationship with God. And, and that's what marriage, is, marriage does. So if that's your purpose, if you know what the purpose of something is, um, it gets you through it. If you don't know what its purpose is, you're going you're gonna to wonder if there's something wrong if it's not doing what you think it yeah. should do. But it's to draw us closer to God and, and the world to God. Yeah, and let me just say one other thing, too, uh, that comes to mind. Uh, watch your expectations. I mean, all marriages, my marriage, all marriages go through ups and downs, highs and lows. The thing that's rock solid is your commitment to one another. We're in this for the long haul, better or worse. Whereas sometimes I hear, well, I didn't think he would be as worse as he is. But you made the promise, most importantly to God, not to each other. And God will give you grace, but you're, we, we were committed, always committed. But there were highs and there's lows. There's different life stages we go through, right? No kids, kids, empty nest, all kinds of life stages. And some of them have more tension to them. So cut yourself some slack. Don't think ever, all these other Christians have perfect marriages. We don't. And be committed. Be committed and focus, again, focus on your relationship with God so he can change you. Listen, I've been a pastor for 40 years. I learned this. People can't change anybody else. I can't change anybody. You can't change anybody. Trying to change your spouse is a dead-end street. It ain't going to work. You focus on how God needs to change you, husband, wife. You focus on how God needs to change you, and you will see you're starting to really gel much better. But it all has to do with you focusing on Christ, not each other. Okay. Uh, If there is no sadness in heaven, then when you're there and you realize a loved one or family member is not, why wouldn't you feel sadness? Well, it's true. It says there'll be no tears in heaven, and there isn't. There's no more crying. There's no sadness. Incredible joy, incredible happiness. You can't even imagine how incredibly joy-filled heaven's going to be. Well, pastor, what if I don't have a loved one or a friend there? I'm going to repeat what the Bible says. You will have incredible happiness and joy in heaven. The only way, the way I answer that is, listen, God is 100% fair, not 99.9, 100%. So if someone is not in heaven, trust me, it's not God's fault. So because it's not God's fault, whoever's not there shouldn't be there. 
So I'm not going to be in a place where I'm going to judge God or feel unhappy. That was unfair, God, and I can't enjoy heaven now. That's not going to happen for the believer. It's just not going to happen. You will be in a state of mind. You will understand whatever God decided was right and good and just. And we're going to be able to enjoy heaven without that kind of baggage. Now, maybe in your present state and my present state as a fallen person, I can't imagine that because I want God to do everything, you know? I want God to forgive everybody whether they deserve to be forgiven or not. That's my state right now. But when I get to heaven and my eyes are open, and by the way, we have no clue God's view, what it's like. He sees all the junk, all the rebellion. There's, there's no way we're going to be able to say, God, that wasn't fair. I can't enjoy this because that wasn't fair. No. You're going to have perfect peace and happiness and joy. And you're going to let the things of God to stay with God. So that's what the scriptures teach. That's what I believe. And uh, Brian, you got anything to add to that? Any other different perspective? You know, it, it is tough. You, you, think of, you think of people you love. I mean, I think, um, you know, my own kids. I mean, you know, I, who was it, Dad, that said you, you should never talk about hell without a tear in your eye if you're, you know, if you're a, if you're a believer. It is, um, the truth is this, though, is, and I don't know how this, this doesn't make sense in the world we live in, but I know when you meet Jesus, the real Jesus, when you meet him as God Almighty and also loving Savior who washes your feet somehow at the same time, that he has that kind of affection and delight and love for you and what he sacrificed for you. When you come eyeball to eyeball to that in your mortal mind's eye as best as you can, you love him so much. And and the idea of, of trusting him with, with your family and with your kids, the idea of that you, if he loves you that much, you can trust him with everything. And then being able to be in his presence one day, I mean, as you wait for him to address you for the first time in eternity, which we're all going to be there, 10 out of 10 people will die, according to doctors. Doctors say 10 out of 10 people die. So it's all, we're all going to, it's all going to happen at some point. Mortality is going to happen. You're going to be eyeball to eyeball with your creator. And in that moment, as you wait for him to talk to you, there'll be a list of things you're thinking about. And I guarantee you on the top of that list is whatever he's about to say to you about your relationship with him. That's going to be the number one thing on your mind. What is this? What is the creator about to say to me for the first time about our relationship? That's all you're going to be thinking about. And especially when you know and you love him and you realize what he's done for you, you can't wait to embrace him. And I don't know in a world that we live in that worships everything but God, including family and kids and people, we worship everything but God. That doesn't make sense to you. If you're watching online, if you're like not a Christian, you're like, how can he say that? But when you know God, when you know Jesus, you just, you are, to live is Christ, to die is gain, as Paul says. It, it, you're really, your whole life is his. And before Jesus, he ain't going to be thinking about anybody else. Nobody. And everybody has to stand before Jesus. And that's why when I have people who go, yeah, I hear you, pastor, born again, I surrender, yeah, I, I'm not there. I go, okay. Okay. Bottom line is it's your shot. You get one shot at this. It's your shot. That's what, you don't want to believe what the Scripture said? Paul, listen, 
John said, uh, Jesus said to uh, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't even see heaven. So you want to take what Jesus said and say that's a bunch of baloney? I don't need to be born again? Well, go ahead, take your shot. But let me tell you, when you stand before Jesus one day and he says, why should I let you into heaven? Oh, oh, I did this, I did this, I was a good person, I was a good husband, I provided for my wife and kids, and I did this and this and this and this and this. And he's going to say, go away from me, I don't even know you. Because you never experienced the second birth. You never were born again. You never experienced spiritual birth where you allowed Jesus to actually come into your heart and take control of your life. Why? Because you blew it off. And trust me, you're not going to be thinking about anybody else. So... We're all going to stand before God one day, and we have to be confident that we are right with God. And the way to do that, there is a perfect way to do that. There's an, he, he, he's done the work. He paid the price for your sins. Here's what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to believe that, that his death 2,000 years ago is enough to cover all of your sins, past, present, even the future sins you haven't committed, all in one act. He pays for them, so, so why? You don't have to pay for them. You get a free pass into heaven. Well, it's not actually a free pass. He pays the price. It's not free. But he pays your admission to get into heaven. What does he ask you to do? Two things. First of all, believe that. Stop trusting that your confirmation or your baptism or your religion or your goodness gets you into heaven. None of it does. None of it does. So stop believing that garbage and believe what he said, which is he has to die for you. I believe that, Jesus. I believe that your death is enough to cover all of my sins, past, present, and even future sins. I believe that. I'm not going to try and work my way to heaven. What you did for me, I accept. That's one, two. And this is where people are going to say thanks, but no thanks. You got to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, which means from this moment on, from the moment you pray that prayer, it ain't about you anymore. You give up total 100% control. Here's how you do it. You tell him that. You say, Jesus, I've been running my life to this point. From this moment on, I ain't running it anymore. You take my life and make me into the person you want me to be. And I'll tell you what God does if you mean it. He comes inside of your heart, and he kills this whole person. Kills him. Dead, gone. And he takes up residence inside of your bodies. And now the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, actually indwells you, and he begins to change you from the inside out. It's a supernatural thing, but it happens. We've all had different experiences of how we got there, but we know we're born again. The Holy Spirit has entered into me, and from that moment on, he changed me. Changed the way I thought, changed the way I think, changed the way I respect, I, I react to people, changed the way I treat my wife, my kids, coworkers. I took, he took uh, anger away. He, took, he, he changes me. Now, he doesn't do it all at once. For some of us, if it's more of a progressive thing, but we know we're not the same. The living God indwells me. And when I pick up this book, I didn't, I didn't understand it before. Now, it's like I get it. The, the spirit inside of me helps me understand, opens my mind to truth. In fact, I have a desire to learn it and to come and be with other believers. And all this is what God's done through the new birth. What does it take? Got to believe that Jesus died for me. 
and covers my sins. And secondly, confess him with my mouth as Lord. That means he's the Lord. You're the leader of my life. I surrender to you. Have you done that? You know what? Let me give an opportunity right now because I just explained the gospel, everybody. If you're watching online, listen, this might be one of the only times you have that God prepared you for this moment. So let's do it. Let's all bow our heads right now. Bow your heads. This is a moment. Listen, you want to blow this off? You want to blow off an opportunity to come into the kingdom of God? Take your shot. But I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to say to God, settle it once for all. I believe. Jesus, I bring these people to you. I can't do anything. Nobody can save anybody. But you can. This is why you came. And I got to believe there's somebody right now who... This is their divine moment. This is the day and the hour and the moment they are to surrender their lives to you and be born again. So, Lord, we pray the prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I've been trusting in myself and my goodness or my religion or some religious activity that I went through as if that can get me in with a ticket. I say no to it. That cannot save me. Only you can save me. Thank you for dying for my sins, all of them, even the ones I haven't committed yet. You paid the penalty. Thank you for taking the hit for me. I believe that. I receive it like with open arms right now, and I will never doubt it again. Thank you for saving me from my sins. And then secondly, Lord, from this moment on, I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't care what you, whatever you want to make me into, whatever, however you want to change my mind, my habits, my emotions, my thought process, whatever, Lord, I'm yours. You take control of my life from this moment on. You lead, I will follow. You're in the driver's seat. You got the steering wheel, I'm in the back seat. From this moment on, I'm yours for now and forevermore, and I'll never doubt it again. Please, come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. Make me into the kind of person you have always wanted me to be. Let me tell you something. You prayed that prayer? God will come into your life and change you from the inside out, and you will be born again. And let me tell you something. I won't have to tell you you're born again. No one will have to tell you you're born again. The Spirit of God will tell you you're born again. The Spirit will testify to the blood, as it says in the hymn, and tells me I'm born of God. So, okay. We good? All right. I'm sorry, I was led there. That's where I had to go. So a little sermon, a little uh, opportunity for uh, evangelism there, but uh, that's where we go. Let's go to the next question, okay? By the way, if you prayed that prayer, don't worry about it. What's going to happen? I would say buy a Bible, get a Bible, and start reading it. New Testament. Start with the Gospels, and let God start. And then you got to join it. you got to get into a Bible church. You got to get into a church that teaches the Bible, not just a church, not just a Christian church, a church that will actually teach you, that has good, sound teaching. And if you don't know what that, what that church might be like, you write to me. 
and I'll tell you, I'll give you some options. You tell me where you live, and I'll give you some options. Okay? All right. After creating Adam and Eve, did God create other people at the same time since we find narrations about them in the Bible? How did the number of people on earth grow? Okay, that's an easy one. I'll give that to you, Brian. Well, uh, you know, a couple things. Um, first, uh, we know Adam and Eve were the first people that God created. Um, even, even though the, the first couple chapters of Genesis is poetic, it's poetry. So, you know, it's not um, narrative genre literature where it's like start to finish and, and kind of follows this chronology to it. You'll kind of see things come back around that you read previously in the last chapter. And that's, that's partly because the way it's structured is poetry. In fact, that's how it was passed down. It's easier to remember because it was orally passed down for uh, years, centuries, until Moses wrote it, you know, a millennium maybe even. But it's this idea that um, until Moses wrote this down, Jewish uh, culture and the, and the Hebrews have, have been passing down um, and this is how people did it. They did it orally. They passed down information in a very specific way. And that poetry allowed them to remember, if I can remember the beginning, I can remember the end. You know, that's why you kind of can see the symmetry of that happening. So that's just the, the, the literature part of the answer. But um, you got to remember, when you live hundreds of years old, I mean, Adam and Eve uh, had the benefit of an earth that was unpolluted by man for so long. Um, they, you know, they live hundreds of years before they die. And if you're, you know, one of their kids and you're, you know, 200 years old, the odds of you knowing your siblings who were, you know, born 300 years before you, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many possibilities for, uh, procreation when you live 900 years old. So, um, it just was different back when, when the earth existed prior to the way it's been, you know, um, dominated and even destroyed in so many ways by mankind and sin even. So uh, the Bible gives us the margin to understand where people come from and um, nations it's, it, as, as man spread out, as people spread out throughout the world, as they lived hundreds of years. I mean, even just Adam and Eve alone living a couple hundred years uh, or, you know, it was like 700, 800 years. Imagine all their kids, how long they lived. And uh, there's wonderful, great scientific uh, discussion we can have about why they live so long and the amount of water vapor in the world. But anyway, I'll save that for just the nerds. Come find me on Facebook. We'll talk about it there. <laughs> so uh, that's what I got. What do you think, Dad? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, God created, if you go to uh, Genesis 5, it talks about Adam to Noah. You have God creating humankind. First male, he created Adam first, and then he created Eve, and he brought the woman to man. And then it says uh, uh, Adam lived 130 years. He had a son after 130 years. He had a son in his own image. You say, well, how can that be 130 years? Well, again, as, as Pastor Brian said, that was closest to perfection before, he had, before mankind had sinned. And progressively, we have, of course, that death rate has gone down and it's kind of stabilized and gone up with some uh, medicine and technology. But uh, at, those, at that time, they were living hundreds of years. And it says, and then Seth was born at 130, and then at eight, listen, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. So we all come from our original parents, Adam and Eve. And then God populated the earth through that. And yes, there were relatives that were intermarrying. Of course, there had to be at the beginning. And then he populated the earth through that. That's what 
uh, most biblical scholars hold to. That's what evangelical scholars, of course, but hold to. Again, too, like if you marry somebody in a distant relative who's hundreds of years, their parents were hundreds of years older, and you're, they're the, the, the umpteenth kid from some other, you know, like it's just different than when you have like, you know, I think the average household in, around the globe is like down to like four kids per household. It's like globally. So it's just a totally different um, situation. And even pre-flood, um, you know, before the flood, there was a lot, there's a lot of science to suggest that the what the air, the oxygen people were breathing was much less of a nitrogen oxygen mix. It was much healthier to even breathe the air. I mean, there's just, there's so many things back at the, like you said, dad, the earliest state of perfection of creation that we just don't have today. Yeah. Pastor Brian has this down. So if you have further questions, it's B Episcopo at AAC.church. Okay. Next one. It is said that Satan can come. This is the last one we're going to be able to do. It is said that Satan can come in sheep's clothing. How do you discern whether something is coming from God or seven? Uh, Satan. That's a good question. You know why? Because Satan appears as what? An angel of light. Much of what Satan does sometimes appears good. So all the more reason for you to be a person of the book, all the more reason to have the Holy Spirit living within you, because the Holy Spirit is what? He is our guide, our counselor. He guides us. So the first answer is God's given us, he's set up for success. He himself lives inside the believer now, and the Holy Spirit is your number one defense. You will sense, he will warn, red flags, we blow through the red flags. But internally, you will sense in your spirit something's not right. And it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit putting a red flag up. So as you learn to walk with the Spirit, you will recognize the voice of the enemy as an imposter as opposed to the voice of God. But another way, if you're unsure, of course, is to talk to another Christian about it. This is what I'm sensing. This is what I think is okay for me to do. And this is what I'm feeling like I'm being led to do. What do you think about that? And, uh, you know, the, the Bible says plans fail for lack of many counselors. So go to two or three Christians, and if you see a common thread going up, red flag, red flag, red flag, you ought to listen to it. Uh, whenever I'm unsure about something, whether it's of God or not, I share it with trusted friends of mine that I know that walk with God and know God's Word, and that's where you get, you'll get that common thread coming through. This is what I do as a pastor. People come to me, Pastor. I'm listening to this yo-jo on uh, TV, and he's telling me this and this and this and this and this, and I'm going like, wow, that really violates a lot of what Scripture says. I wouldn't listen to that voice. That's a confusing voice. I'm not saying it's from Satan, but it's a confusing voice. And what do people do? They'll go, yeah, but I really like the guy. Oh, okay. Okay. Go by your feelings. Go by what you think is right. You're asking me my opinion. I'm telling you, I'm throwing a red flag up. And if you go to enough... Christians that are solid believers, mature believers, you'll see the same red flag. So there's ways of protecting yourself. I know I was a Christian about two weeks. Two weeks I had been born again. And two weeks I'm already leading a Bible study. I know nothing. But I'm at work on Wall Street and I'm leading a Bible study. I got about four or five people in there. And this guy says, oh, I know the Bible. Sure, come on in. And he, I go out to breakfast with him one morning and he says, you know, I think Abraham made a mistake. He wasn't supposed to sacrifice his son. I'm thinking, geez, I didn't pick that up at all. 
fact, I thought that was a, a great statement of faith. He says, yeah, he made a mistake. I said, what church do you go to? He goes, oh, I don't go to a church. We don't believe in churches. Really? That didn't sound kosher. So I said, well, what do you, what, what do, you do you belong to a group of believers? They, he goes, yeah, we, we, we're part of a thing called the Way International. I didn't know anything about the Way International. I came home. I, I talked to a couple of people. I talked to a pastor. I said, you know anything about the Way? Oh, oh yeah, that's a cult. That's a cult. False doctrine. Okay, God was protecting me, but I asked advice. I, internally, I knew the Holy Spirit told me something's not kosher, and then I went and I asked people, and I got an answer, a common thread. And so what I had to do, this is really interesting. This is God preparing me to be a pastor one day. Two weeks, two weeks I'm a Christian. I know nothing, but I've got, I know enough that I've got four people in this Bible study that are like with me. They're just learning the Bible, and I got a wolf who's ready to attack sheep. And I said, listen, I checked you out. You are part of a cult called the Way International. It's a cult. And he started swearing at me. Wow, now it's coming out. You seem like such a nice guy, such a cool Christian. And I said, you can't come to the Bible study anymore because you're just going to confuse everybody. I was acting like a pastor two weeks old. It's part of my calling. But... Uh, all that to say that the Holy Spirit will protect you. Ask around with other Christians and do your homework. Do some reading. And you usually will find out whether this is of Satan, of the devil, or of God. Do you got anything to add to that, uh, Bri? Yeah, just to uh, clarify, your, when you say you thought it was right for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, just to close the loop on that, uh, Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac because he knew God would provide a way out. And no, he did. Abraham... Isaac. Did not that? Isaac did not get sacrificed by Abraham. God provided a way out. Yeah, yeah. But so, yes, I'm saying yeah. he said, he yes. said Abraham should never have even tried to right. sacrifice Isaac right. because it was a mistake. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I'm just, for all the audience out there that okay. thinks we're for human sacrifices, just real quick, yeah, clarify that. Anyway. I know so. what I said. I'm not getting senile on you here. <laughs> okay. Hey, Bri? Yeah. You still there? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I bet you close us out, huh? In prayer. That'd be great. That'd be great. Thanks, Ed. Jesus, I am just grateful again this morning for the simplicity of the gospel. It truly is faith and belief in you. Um, nothing more, nothing less than that. Just trusting you with our life. Uh, Lord, even the leadership that we give to you, Lord, uh, we're not good at it. We're not good at giving you leadership in our life. I can think of just as my dad was talking, all the things I don't give you leadership in that I want you to take over in my life, but I'm not even good at it. And you still love us. You still forgive us. You still accept us as we are, not as we should be. So Lord, I thank you and I praise you for that. I pray that be so profoundly crystal clear to everybody. If there's one truth that we all walk out of here with again today, it's that it's simply you, Jesus, that, is ma that makes us right with God. As a, as a pastor said, the only thing we contribute to salvation is the sin that made it necessary. So, Lord, I, I pray that that be so profoundly clear to everybody in this room and everybody watching online that you are enough. You're enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.